from New York City. This is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and you know, it's time to do a language family show. Those are always fun. I like doing them, and you out there in the dark seem to enjoy them. And so let's do one of those. I think the way we're going to handle this is that I'm always telling aspiring linguistic students or just language heads that if you want to learn your way around languages, then really you should at least mess around with a language like Russian and then mess around with a language like Chinese. And what do I mean by that? Well, with Russian, you're dealing with lots and lots of endings. You've got case endings and you've got conjugations and all the irregularity that's what Russian does for you. And there are lots of languages like that. You know, Greek, Latin, you can go further afield. You should learn a language like that. But then if you want to have a sense of what languages are like in general, well, English is kind of in the middle. Russian is extreme with all of that ending-y stuff. Then you want to deal with a language like Chinese. Chinese works completely differently from English or Russian or most of the languages that we're likely to learn, including even these days Japanese and Arabic. Chinese is its own thing. There are many, many languages that operate like Chinese, but the one that's easiest for a Westerner to approach for various reasons would be Mandarin Chinese in particular. And so with this show, this language family show, let's do Chinese. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, why just one language? It's supposed to be about a family and you're just going to do little old Chinese. That's no fun. But no, no, we'll, we'll get to it. It is going to be about a family in spite of itself. Remember, though, this is not going to be about writing. Language is about speech. It is not about writing, which is just an approximation of what actual communication is. Yeah, the writing system of Chinese is a fabulous, beautiful, treacherous, clumsy thing. I, I get it. You want to know about that. But you also want to know what is being written by all those characters. And to tell you the truth, I will openly say that to me, before I knew my way around languages, Chinese always sounded odd. Like it's one thing to hear somebody speaking Polish and you think, well, that's just a different language from English or Hebrew, different language from English. Chinese always sounded like something very, very different because the sound system is very different. So if it sounds that way to you just because of its unfamiliarity, how does that language work? They're communicating with all of the richness and nuance that we're communicating in in English. What is that language? Well, in order to get a sense of it, let's get in a plane and we're going to fly around the world. And there's going to be a song for that. And the song is actually from the World's Fair of 1964. For some reason, at the World's Fair in 1964 in Queens, not far from where I live, there's a little musical they were doing, but it wasn't little. It was this full-blown musical review that you could sit through while you were at the fair. And for some reason, this was commercially recorded, so you can still hear the music. And one of the songs is actually by the guys who did Fiddler on the Roof. This is Sheldon Harnick and Jerry Bach. These are these guys right when they were doing Fiddler. They also wrote a song called Popsicles in Paris, which I find very charming. And it will help us to travel and even get exactly where we're going. Here is Popsicles in Paris, World's Fair of 1964. Popsicles in Paris, shish kebab in Shanghai, sweet potato pie in Rome. Cracker Jack in Cairo, curry 
Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, Slate listeners. Do us a favor and help us make a better Slate by answering our survey. It'll only take a few minutes. You can find it at slate.com slash survey. So, popsicles in Paris and... Shish kebab in Shanghai. Let's stop here over Shanghai. I don't know how much shish kebab we're going to get, but here we are in China. Now, think about what China looks like, or if you don't happen to know, take a look. China is a big thing. It's a vast stretch of land. I'm taking a guess that it's bigger than that little peninsula called Europe. It's huge. And yet, think about the language map of Europe. You've got different language every two feet, Hungarian, French, Swedish. Now here we are in China, and apparently all anybody speaks is this language called Chinese over all of that land. People have been there since the dawn of time, and somehow they've only really developed one language, Chinese. Or, of course, we're aware that Chinese has these dialects. So there's the Mandarin dialect, the Cantonese dialect. But, you know, they're all dialects of this one language, Chinese. Think about it. That doesn't make any sense. Wouldn't there be more languages there by now? And really, if you take a look at these dialects, you can see that there's something wrong in the way we refer to them. So, for example, to say introduce in Mandarin, jie shao. So there you go, jie shao. Oh, by the way, yeah, um, this is me. I am going to say the Chinese. Over the course of doing this podcast, I've gone from being afraid to pronounce a syllable, and I used to always get a recording of somebody else, to now I am unafraid to sound like a perfect ass throughout this whole episode. But yes, it's going to be me. So Mandarin, that's to introduce. Now in the Cantonese dialect, that same word is So do those really seem like dialects of one language? Really, they're completely different words. They both mean to introduce, and you can sense a certain likeness, but they're a little too different to really qualify as dialects in the sense that there's a standard American and a standard British dialect of English. And what it's really about is that this Chinese language, in all of its varieties, we might call them at this point, is all written with the same writing system. So Mandarin and Cantonese are written the same way. A passage of Mandarin translated into Cantonese will often look exactly the same because the characters are pictures or representations of whole words. So it's not alphabetic. But think about it this way. Buenos dias in Spanish. Good day. So buenos dias. Italian. Buongiorno. Okay. So, buenos, buon, you can tell there's a relationship. Giorno, we'll just have to leave that. But Portuguese, bon dia. So, bueno, bon, dia, dias. All those things are related. You know, you know they all came from the same thing at one point. Latin, you can tell. Now, imagine if the writing system were about pictures in the same way as Chinese is. And so, let's say that the way that you wrote good was somebody smiling, a smiley face. And the way that you wrote day was a little sun. So you imagine smile, sun, and that means good day. 
And imagine if that's how you wrote buenos dias and bon giorno and bon dia. Imagine if all those were written that way. Now, imagine someone saying, yeah, they're all the same language. And notice how even we might think of it that way if that's how the writing worked, because we always think that writing is language. So you've got the smile and the sun. That's how you write good day. And well, the fact that buenos dias and bon giorno really are quite different, you might get used to not thinking about that much. And so you can imagine someone saying, oh, yeah, those are the romance dialects, but all of them are the same language. But obviously, no, that's not really the case. So buenos dias and buon giorno are similar to jieshao and gaisiu. You have a writing system that makes these two dialects look the same, but really they're different languages. Now, where do you draw the line between what's a language and what's a dialect? As we've seen, there's no line to be drawn. Is Scots a dialect of English or is it a separate language? Hard to say. Are people who are speaking Gullah Creole in South Carolina, you can watch a film like Daughters of the Dust, are they speaking a different language or is it a dialect of English? They're tough cases, but frankly, when it comes to something like Mandarin and Cantonese, it's not even hard. Those are in the grand scheme of things. They're different languages. They're only called dialects because they're spoken within the polity of China and because they're all written with the same system, which means that they look like the same thing, which is easy to mistake as them being the same thing. But see, this is what this means. This isn't a show about just one language. This is a show about a language family. These languages are what linguists call the Sinitic languages, or you could say the Chinese languages. There's no one language Chinese. There hasn't been for several millennia. The Chinese languages are a big, fat family. So what are all these languages. Well, Mandarin is the lingua franca one. You know, Mandarin is spoken by, by some counts, about a billion people. That means that one in seven people on earth speak Mandarin. That includes everybody in New York City except me, basically. Well, and Donald Trump, those two people. But Everybody speaks Mandarin in the whole world. So that's Mandarin. But then Cantonese is the next most prominent Chinese language, especially here in America, because before 1965, most people who immigrated here from China were Cantonese speakers, not Mandarin speakers. After the Immigration Act of 1965, large numbers of Mandarin speakers started to come. So today we're very familiar with Chinese and Chinese American people who speak Mandarin. But back in the day, the Chinese you were likely to hear was Cantonese. And what that means is that if you see a movie where it's before about 1970 and they're Chinese people and they're speaking Mandarin, that's probably a mistake. And even in something that I love deeply, and I've mentioned this show on this podcast before, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, it is exquisite, every second of it. But one thing about language is that in that last thread that they had with the whole Chinatown sub story, those people speaking Mandarin is probably not right. Those people at that time would have spoken Cantonese. So I've read stories about the very charming actress who they have playing Jake's Chinese girlfriend, how she's polished her Mandarin. And I thought, well, that 
must have been fun, but technically those characters would be speaking Cantonese. Or there's a little scene in Cotton Comes to Harlem, which is kind of the first black exploitation picture. And it's a fascinating piece of work in many ways. But at one point, they're in a Chinese restaurant and the waitress comes out and says, She's saying something like, I'm sorry, I, I brought you the wrong thing. Well, no, that woman would probably have spoken Cantonese. It's that kind of thing. Cantonese is the Chinese language in America until really about 10 minutes ago. It's time for a song. And you know what? We're going to have songs of this time. Hugh Martin. He was a Broadway composer of minor note. And you do know a song by him because he wrote Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which was originally in the movie Meet Me in St. Louis. But Hugh Martin only had four, depending on how you count it, maybe five shows on Broadway. Two of them were minor hits. Two of them were respectable flops. And I know that this is supposed to be a podcast about language, but I'm not even going to try this time. And it's because I, I deserve this. I'm going to I'm going to treat yourself, so to speak. I had a bad week at Columbia. And I like to always say that everything's happy in the valley. But to tell you the truth, we are thinking about the virus down here in the valley as well. And all of my courses are now going online and all the students have been asked to go home. And it's not like I have any experience with communicating about language in the audio medium. So this is going to be completely unfamiliar to me. It's not fun. And my life is thrown upside down. And you know, they're going to close the schools and they probably should, but I'll be at home with my cuties. So things are just not right. And so I want music that I like. So this is just going to be candy. This is Hugh Martin. Songs are like gingerbread cookies, which I'll probably be making with my girls in about two weeks at home. So this is a little song called The Three Bs. This is Nancy Walker, familiar to those of us of a certain age as Rhoda Morgenstern's mother and as the pitch person for Bounty Paper Towels. I love hearing her sing in old Broadway shows. And she's joined by June Allison and the luscious-lipped Gloria DeHaven. The movie is Best Foot Forward. This is 1944 at MGM. This is a filmization of a stage musical. This is the three B's. It's Boogie Woogie. I love the boogie cause it tickles my spine. I love the boogie cause it's fresh and it's fine. Just like a cigarette with modern design. That's why I love the boogie woogie. Yes, yes. It seems to knock the wind right out of my chest. It's so darn good it makes a fool of the rest. Just goes to show you that the boogie's the best. That's why I love the boogie woogie. Yes, yes. It's right as rain. As low as thunder, high as a cloud, and sweet as a cake. It's got a kick like mountain liquor, and it's a slick and hard to take as Veronica Lake. It picks you up and then it knocks you right down. It makes you laugh and play and act like a clown. No other music has a right to the crown, cause there's nothing that'll raise your heat. Like the boogie woogie beat, you'll mean the barrel Like the boogie woogie beat, you'll mean the Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So then 
Taiwanese. You hear about that one? That's another one of these quote unquote dialects. But no, Taiwanese is part of a whole Chinese language that's called Min. You know, we don't hear that name much, but it's the Min language. And it's actually, Min is spoken by more people than Cantonese is. And there are many different kinds of Min, and many of them are not even mutually intelligible. Taiwanese is spoken, well, you know, you can guess. But then when you go over onto the mainland, then you've got what's often called Hokkien or Fujianese. That's very different from Taiwanese. All of that is Min then sometimes you'll hear a Chinese person who speaks Mandarin casually toss off that they also speak Shanghainese. And to them, it's very natural. And I always think to myself, damn it, you know, that person doesn't quite understand that Shanghainese is a completely separate language. They know on a certain level, but, you know, Mandarin and Shanghainese are written the same way. So they look like they're, quote unquote, the same thing. But Shanghainese is not just some sort of Mandarin. It is one kind of a whole other Chinese language called Wu. And it's as different from Mandarin as Dutch is from German. And I could go on and won't because lists get boring fast. But even a conservative estimate of how many Chinese languages there are would say that there are seven. Like the fifth, sixth, and seventh here are called Hakka, Gan, and Xiang. Notice we never hear about those unless we're Chinese language nerds. But those are spoken by lots and lots of people. And those are alongside what we might call Mandarin, Cantonese, Taiwanese, and Shanghainese familiarly. And really, there are other varieties where you could say that they belong to one of those seven languages. But really, they're so different that probably their languages of their own. And then on top of that, thinking about what the language map of China really looks like, there are actual dialects of these languages. So for example, this is um this is something that just happened a few weeks ago. I like to go to one of those Chinese buffets here in Queens because my girls like them. Of course, that's the only reason I don't like delicious, greasy food. It's just for them. So we go there and, you know, because it's a Chinese buffet, the people who run it, they tend to speak some Chinese. And I'm always trying to practice because it's my hobby. And there was one waiter who really didn't speak English that well. And so I figured, well, I'm going to try it out because I can tell he has a sense of humor. So we're all dirty and I want to wipe, want to wipe my little one's hands. And so I used the word za, za, that means wipe. So I I used it and he kind of smiled and he said, cha. And I'm actually getting to the point that the language is sliding into my natural arrogance. And I just thought to myself, no, no, this time I'm right. And I said, no, not cha, za. And he said, yes, cha. And I said, no, (laughs) za. And he said, yeah, pronunciation. So I said, well, come here. It really did go like this. I said, come here. Write down what you're saying. And he wrote C-H-A. And so we kept on going back and forth, and it became clear that he speaks a different dialect of Mandarin than the standard that's thrown at people like me. So there's Tsa people and there's Cha people. So you can imagine the kind of differences that there are. For example, in... um. Spanish and Italian in the gang, there's a word for I. All those languages have a word for I, as in me, myself, and I. They are different. So Spanish, yo. Italian, io. Portuguese, eu. French, je. So yo, io, eu, je. All of those mean I. All of those start as the Latin word ego, and sound change happens. Now, here are four dialects of Mandarin. Not Chinese languages, but these are varieties of Mandarin. Standard Mandarin for I is wo. In Yangzhou Mandarin, it's o. In Xi'an Mandarin, it's ng. 
In Ling Bao Mandarin, it's law. So you go, all of those are as different as yo, eo, eo, and zhe. And yet all of those are dialects of Mandarin. There are dialects of Mandarin where even to my untrained, arrogant eye and ear, I think to myself, that's not a dialect of Mandarin. That's its own language. And many Mandarin speakers would agree. So this China landmass linguistically is really just like Europe. Writing distorts how we see language. Really, there are probably about three dozen Chinese languages. And that's a conservative estimate because, you know, so many of the Mandarin dialects are really languages of their own. Min is counted as one language. Min is clearly like six or seven different languages. Really about three dozen Sinitic, i.e. Chinese languages. They're just like the Romance languages in their spread. So it's very interesting. A lot of the divergent varieties are only being really studied just now. It's a fascinating area. One of the main things that makes the Chinese's sound odd to us if we don't have experience with them is the tones. And the tones really are you know, quite ordinary to them, but to somebody who doesn't grow up with a tonal language, it's always a miracle that human beings can develop things like this. And so the classic example, ma, well, that's incomplete. The issue is what tone? So ma, that's your mother. Ma is your horse. Ma is scolding. Ma, I'm supposed to say that that's hemp, but I don't know what that is, so I'm going to say that it's rough, because it also means that. And it's not only ma, it's not some syllables. I remember the first one of these, other than ma, that I paid attention to was b, just the syllable b. B is pen. B is to close something. B is your nose. Your nose is kind of up in the air, like b. And then b, that's force. So b, 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 b. All of those mean completely different things. So those syllables have more sound distinction in them than our syllables do in our languages because you've got to have that tone as well as what is the consonant and what it's like and what is the vowel and where do you place it. And of course, you know, B doesn't only mean pen. It also means then, like I'm richer than you. Or B doesn't only mean close, it also means arm. So you really have a very different way of allocating linguistic material across meaning. And Mandarin has the four tones, and you think, well, goodness gracious. But, you know, Cantonese has six. Some people say nine, that's pushing it. But it has six tones. And so you hear anybody speaking Cantonese, you know, if you're at a Chinese restaurant, a Chinese market, and it's just, to me, I always think, you're using six tones and you're not tripping over your own feet. So for example, the syllable C, just C. God, I sound so English. C. So that syllable. Well, if you say C, that's a poem. If you say C, that is to try. If you say C, that is the verb to be. If you say C, then you're saying history. If you say C, it's city. And if you say C, then it means time. Cantonese speakers, I tried so hard. You may scold me. You may ma me. But that's how Cantonese works. And there are varieties that have even more tones than that. Mandarin is easy in that way. There's some Mandarins that only have three tones. Go away from Mandarin and chances are you're dealing with yet more tones. So just 
imagine speaking a language with tones. And this next song is called Imagine. You know, no, no, no transitions. I get my gingerbread cookies this week. I don't have to pretend. So don't imagine speaking a language with tones. This is a song by Hugh Martin called Imagine. This is from his under-consulted film, Athena. I say under-consulted because this is an MGM musical about people who eat health food. It's really bizarre. This was kind of in the twilight of the era. And it's got a dandy little score, including this song, which was sung by Vic Damone to a very young Debbie Reynolds. This is Imagine. Imagine you're an apple, a big red apple, sitting on the top of a tree. If I came along at just the right minute, you might fall for me. Imagine you're a willow weeping, willow weeping for some rain from the blue. If I were a cloud with lots of rain in it, I might fall for you. Imagine that I'm the ocean. Imagine that you're the shore. I'd drench you with damp devotion. I'd pour it before you and roar. I adore you. Imagine you're a When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It doesn't have any grammar. I have heard people saying that. That's somebody I heard at Columbia once. Not going to hear anybody for the rest of the year. But back when it was occupied by human beings, then you would hear people say, I'm taking Chinese. It doesn't have any grammar. Well, what do you mean by that? And what a person means by that is there's no ablo, ablos, ablo, ablamos, ah, whatever, ablon. Okay. It doesn't challenge you with that. But Goodness gracious, Chinese does have grammar. It just has different kinds of grammar. So, for example, an English speaker thinks of grammar as being what the technical term for it is goofball gender. As in sombrero, that's a boy. Luna, that's a girl. Bateau in French, well, that's a boy. La lune, the moon is a girl, etc. Association, well, that's a girl. You know, why is an association female? That kind of gender, there are two technical terms. One is goofball. The other one is grammatical, grammatical gender. That's hard from English. English is the only Indo-European language of Europe that does not have that. We think that we're normal and that all those languages with their gender are annoying. It's the other way around. We're weird. By the way, folks, notice I said Indo-European language in Europe. There are languages without goofball gender eastward of Europe that are Indo-European. But here in Europe, that is nasty for us from English. Learn, especially where you're dealing with three of them. You've got masculine, feminine, neuter in German or in Russian. It's just a bit much. And so you figure, well, you know, Chinese doesn't have endings of that kind. And so that's just no grammar. No, no. And that's because of something like this. The word for three in Mandarin is san, san, okay? Now, child is haizi, haizi. Three children. You'd think 
the way you'd say that would be san, that's three, heidze, child. San heidze. No, there is no san heidze. That's not how you say it. You have to say san ge heidze. San ge heidze. Now, what's the ge? We naturally think, well, it means of or something like that. What's so hard about that? So you don't say three child, you say three of child. It's just no grammar. Okay, but how about this? San means three. Dog is go. I just wanted to do that. So go, that's a dog. So three dogs, san go. And you think, well, no, no, because you have to stick that little oven. So is it san go go? No, a Mandarin speaker would giggle at you and kind of tickle your nose with a feather and tell you how cute you are. You can't say san go go. You have to say san ju go. The ju is the little ovey word that you use when it's dogs or a lot of animals, not all of them but a lot of animals. So g for your kids, j for your pet. What about fish? They seem to be animals. San, I don't think I need to tell you what that means. E, that's fish. E, fish. So three fish. You know it's not going to be san e because you have to have the little thing in there. But it's not san j e because a fish is not that kind of animal. For fish, you use something for longy things, longish things. Tiao. So san tiao e. that's three of fish. You could put it that way, but you have to have a different kind of of depending on what things are like. If it's a tree, san shu. No, san ke shu. You have to have ke if you're talking about trees. And this just goes on and on. It's not just those four. It's dozens. If it's knives, then you don't use ge, zhe, tiao, or ke. You use ba. Oh, you want the tones. Okay. You don't use ge, zhe, tiao, ke. You have to use Ba, and it's knives, and so you'd think, well, that's kind of long like a fish, isn't it? But no, because the knife is something that you handle, you know, like an umbrella. And yet, just when you think you've got it, there are these little particular ones. There's one for songs. You have to say, san shou, ge, three songs, shou. And you ask, well, why? And they just kind of smile at you. So what this means is that there's goofball gender in Chinese, too, because you have to know which one of these little ofs to use. You use them not only with numbers, but also when you say this or that. You've got to know them. And if you just use ge all the time, then what you sound like is some dimwit or you know somebody who just is learning and doesn't know any better. You can't just use good with everything. You have to learn all of these little things. They're called classifiers, which is kind of a clumsy term for it. But that means that these languages, these Chinese languages, they have gender too. It's just as bad as sombrero and luna and having to learn that you say sombrero rojo. Listen to my perfect Spanish accent, sombrero rojo, and you have to have o. But if it's a red moon, whatever that would be, then it's luna roja. You have to do all those things. You have to attend to gender, too, in these languages because you have to know which one of these things everything takes. And there's, there's real irregularity. And so the j, that's for many animals, but not all of them. There's a different one that's just for horses. And you also say j when you're talking about a suitcase or your eyes. You never know. It's just the way it goes. By the way, you know, while we're on the subject, which we're not, how do you get from a bundle of sticks to a gay man. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then that sentence must be quite marvelous. But what is the pathway from a bundle of sticks to an epithet that you use for a gay man? It's a very interesting story. It's seldom told properly. It has nothing to do with anybody being burned at the stake. And you will only find out if you get slate 
plus slate plus for a nominal fee will give you a little tag at the end of this show where you'll learn some fact unconnected with the topic of the day but always kind of chewy and interesting like dark chocolate raisinets but you can only get it if you pay that nominal fee but not only do you get the little tag you don't have to listen to me or anybody else doing any ads and it's the same thing with the other slate podcast this does not line my pockets exactly it goes to other slate podcasts as well so for a nominal fee you find out even more things you don't have to deal with any commercials sign up for slate plus today you'll be glad you did here's something that you can't do you know that wonderful book chinesey which i hope you give his presence where you know you've got these chinese characters made to look like what they stand for and the idea is to make chinese easier because the writing system won't seem so opaque you know the thing is it won't help you to memorize a whole bunch of characters if you have a yen to be able to read chinese and there's a reason for it it's something that people don't tell you much about how the language works but it comes down to this really you have a very limited set of possible syllables in for example mandarin and that's because a syllable is only allowed to end with two things an n or an ng so you can have wan you can have wang but there's no such thing in mandarin as wat there's no such thing in mandarin as wash you can't end a syllable with most consonants and really what that means is that there are only about 240 possible combinations of consonants and vowels. And how many homonyms can you have? And that means that Chinese is based on little double words. It's based on what we call compounds in linguistics. So for example, movie. The word for movie is not some one character that you know looks vaguely like a film or something like that. The way you say movie is you say electric shadow, and they don't mean that as a pretty metaphor. You have to say electric shadow. Dian ying, dian is one character, ying is another character, and that's how you do movie. Mandarin, that's actually a Portuguese word. That's not what they call Mandarin. They call it pu tonghua. So pu tonghua, that means general connection talk sounds kind of like the sex in a black exploitation film general connection talk that's what it is and so you have all three of those put together it's a compound introduce that word that i introduced this episode with that means to jam between and then continue is like to put it in put between shao is to continue and that shows you a lot of the compounds are hard in that they don't make any damn sense so you're introducing people how is introducing people a matter of jamming something in and keeping on going that would be a very interesting way of bringing people together why it's put between continue i'm sure there's a story one doesn't have time to figure it out you just have to know that you have this double word and that's how you do introduce or my favorite of those is the word for thing the word for thing is donshi Dongxi. Dong is east, xi is west, and east-west is a thing. I've heard so many stories about this. There was a Tibetan guy at a convenience store near where I used to live who had this whole colorful tale that sounded like something that you would set to Disney animation. I don't know which one is true, but you just have to know. So the word for thing is not just some one character. It's the character for east and the character for west. Dongxi. So all about the compounds 
in this language. And so it's, it's another challenge in that the compounds sometimes make sense, like electric shadow, but very often don't make any damn sense at all, like east west as things. So it's not just the words alone, but the way the words are put together also challenges you because it's at the very center of how Chinese has a vocabulary. And it all makes you wonder sometimes, where did this start? This language where, you know, the consonants aren't really allowed to come at the end of syllables much, and you've got all these tones. What is the origin story of something like this? You know, it's not going to be a language that arises in Ukraine and spreads throughout Europe and down to India. This is clearly a different story. And what we know is that Chinese languages are part of a family called Sino-Tibetan. So I cheated. Like Semitic, I brought that on and kind of implied that it was a family. Really, Semitic is a subfamily of a family called Afro-Asiatic. Semitic is one of six kittens. Chinese languages, Sinitic as we call it, is one of, well, two kittens because Sino-Tibetan is Sino, that's the Chinese. And then Tibetan is this whole bunch of other languages that includes Tibetan and Burmese and many others that almost no one has ever heard of outside of the areas themselves and linguists and anthropologists. So Proto-Sino-Tibetan, we know that it all traces back there. And essentially what we're dealing with is that short syllables started as longer ones. And so God be with you becomes goodbye and then bye. So we say now bye. And that came from God be with you. Or we say something like darn. That started as eternal damnation, eternal damnation. And that became darn with exactly that tone of voice. So that's a general linguistic principle. But that is very much the case with Sino-Tibetan. And actually, an expert on Sino-Tibetan, this is Robert Schaefer, put this so beautifully that I'm just going to quote him. I'm going to give him, I never met him, I'm going to give him just a voice that I would like him to have. If a high-powered racing car is driven at terrific speed into a cement wall, the results on the car will somewhat parallel those on polysyllabic Sino-Tibetan words. The front part will be greatly compressed, Parts will have dropped out, and there will be considerable distortion, but the body will remain fairly intact. That's just perfect. That's the issue. And so, you can take all of the Chinese languages and all those Tibet, Burmese, other languages, and you can trace backwards by seeing what they have in common and looking at the older versions of some of these languages where they were written down. And you can figure out, for example, that there was once some big grandfather language spoken probably somewhere in southern China, where the word for eight was roughly baragyat, baragyat, just like that. But then in Mandarin today, the word for eight is just bop. So from baragyat to just bop, how does that happen? Well, it's the car crash where something gets shorter. In old Chinese, which is you know, thousands of years ago, it wasn't bop. The word was prate, prate. Now, you can get from baragyat to prate by just eliminating some of the stuff from the middle. Baragyat, part, prate, prate, prate. So that's old Chinese. In middle Chinese, it's pet. And now today in modern Mandarin, it's bop. These things happen, but it means that something starts long, God be with you, and then becomes really small, such as bye. Make a wish in 1951, sorry, no transitions today, 1951 was a very minor musical that does not need to be revisited in any way except to enjoy the dandy cast album, which sounds like songs written for children. 
It's it's very <laughs> gingerbready. Again, this is I'll never make a Frenchman out of you. Never mind what the plot of this was. But this is Helen Gallagher singing in her heyday. Helen Gallagher is still alive. We are listening to somebody sing who is probably pouring herself a cup of tea right now somewhere in New York. This is I'll never make a Frenchman out of you from Hugh Martin's Make a Wish in 1951. <laughs> You start silly quarrels, you worry about my morals, you keep me in a stew. Couldn't you just relax, stop making those dirty cracks, and let me make a Frenchman out of you? I start growing tenser whenever you start to censor the things I say and do. Most of them make you flinch, I guess it's a perfect cinch, I'll never make a Frenchman out of you. In any case, it's a funny thing about old Chinese. Old Chinese survives in writing. It's, you know, we're talking about roughly third to the fifth century BC that you get real old Chinese that's worth reading. But it's funny. It's such a telegraphic language that there's a question as to whether anybody actually spoke it the way it's written down. You know, some languages dot their I's and cross their T's more than others, but Old Chinese, if you ask me, and opinions differ on this, but I'm not giving a completely renegade opinion. If you ask me, this is not how anybody talked. It's a kind of code. So, for example, there's one passage in Old Chinese of this stage where what it's saying is it's about somebody named He. The person's name is He. And it says, it's not that He is capable of causing harm, but that he lacks savoir-faire. That's what the passage is saying. But if you go word for word in the Old Chinese... It's he not able harm and knowledge not sufficient and and that's it. So it's not that he is capable of causing harm, but that he lacks savoir faire. He not able harm and knowledge not sufficient and and it's always like that. And so, for example, there's a passage about children and certain dietary habits. So when the day is done, they always return home for food because while dust victuals and mud stew can be played with, they cannot be eaten. Okay. In old Chinese, the way it goes is arrive sun late, must go home food ones, dust food, mud stew can play with, but not can eat. Mm. That's all. All it is. And what this shows you, it's funny reading old Chinese. I like the implication that I sit in a chair sipping bourbon and read old Chinese on purpose. But reading old Chinese is interesting because you know nobody talked like that. It's just that they don't indicate, they didn't see it as necessary to indicate on the page a lot of what we now know were certain prefixes and suffixes they were almost definitely using. The language was richer than dust, food, mud, stew, can play with, but not can eat. Nobody talks like that. But you never know. There's so much that we don't actually write out where we just think of it as something that you wouldn't put on the page where people in the future might think that we are quite insane. So, for example, I'll say something like, you know, we could try this. I just used, you know, you know, we could try this. Okay, you know. Now, here is a clip of Ray saying those same two words on the marvelous archer. Listen to him saying, you know. All right, we've trained for this. Cyril, on guns, we need cover. On it. Krieger, spool up hyperspace drive. Spooling. Cheryl, get to your fighter. Lame. Ray, you're still useless. You know. So this is that, you know, 
Lana says it a lot on the show, too. You know, and that, you know, means I'm getting really tired of being abused this way. I'm really thinking about just pulling away from all of this completely. So there's my, you know, you know, then there's, you know. Now, then last week, remember radio comedian Ed Wynn and his, you know. Mike, could you please play that again where he's making the little joke about chickens? Hey, Sam, do you want to hear a, a silly thing? I certainly do. Well, one of my hens was roosting high up, you know. Uh-huh. And... She dropped an egg on the head of a, of a chicken right under her. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she hit this chicken right in the head. Tough chicken it was, you know. Yeah. Then the hen dropped another egg on her head, a second egg. What do you think the chicken said? What do you think? The chicken then yelled up and said, if you don't want to get in trouble, you better lay off me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, has a completely different connotation. Then here is the Honeymooners. Here is Ralph Cramden yelling at Alice, you know that I know. Well, that's a different you know. Listen to this. I know why you haven't got an excuse, Alice. You're afraid to give me an excuse because you know that I know that you know that I know what you've been doing around here all day. Sitting there fooling around. So notice that intonation is everything. There's my, you know, there's Ray's, you know, there's Edwin's, you know, and there's Ralph Cramden's, you know, all of them are completely different and has nothing to do with the tones of all of those voices. Why don't we write that sort of thing? We could, but it's a matter of where you draw the line and we draw it on one side of all of these things that linguists call, for example, pragmatics. By the way, that line thing, where do you draw the line? That is the way you can get into any conversation. I guarantee you, if you are watching people talk about something and you don't quite know where to jump in, you can't quite do like black girls jumping in when they do double Dutch jump rope. You can't quite, you don't know where to get in. The way that you get into any conversation, whether you know anything about it or not, is that when there's a lull, you say, well, it just depends on where you draw the line. Somebody will always turn around and say, well, yes, of course. And then either you keep going or you let them keep going because you don't really know anything about it. But then you're in the conversation and you look like you know what you're talking about. That is your advice for this week, since we're talking about old Chinese. This final musical clip is from the 1948 Hugh Martin musical, Look Ma, I'm Dancing. And this is one of the early songs in it. It's called Gotta Dance, not the one that you're familiar with from Singing in the Rain, but a different one. And this is Harold Lang singing. My mother didn't raise her boy to be a dancer. That was not her mission. My father hoped I'd be an engineer or a financier. That's what he was wishing. So I'm afraid that they could never love me with my arms above me in the fifth position. But I'm a guy who's got a dance Don't know exactly why Music puts me in a trance And I must dance or die Isn't that a great verse? Just that verse part. Might play that again, just, just, just the verse and then keep it going. The craft of just the beginning of it. It's not really about anything important. I just love the way he gets the words and the tune together so nicely. 
My mother didn't raise her boy to be a dancer, that was not her mission. My father hoped I'd be an engineer or a financier, that's what he was wishing. So I'm afraid that they could never love me with my arms above me in the fifth position. But I'm a guy who's got a dance Don't know exactly why Music puts me in a trance And I must dance or die Money Anyway, you can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. By the way, Hugh Martin had a minor hit in London. It was called Love from Judy. If you want to dig up stuff from that, I recommend a song called A Touch of Voodoo. It's about sex. Mike Volo is, as always, the editor, and I am John McWhorter. Swap my business clothes for my dancing pants. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a guy who's just got a dance. He's a guy who's got a dance. That's how he gets his kick.